Welcome to The Little Sleep Show, a podcast about helping your children and family get the sleep you need. Hosted by Laura Meyercourt. Hello, and welcome back to The Little Sleep Show. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm an infant and child sleep consultant, and I am on a mission to help as many parents and caregivers as I can with all of the sleep challenges and some of the parenting challenges too that come along with just being on this crazy ride of parenthood. So today I wanted to do a little series where I talk about my most common sleep challenges um, that I work with. And today I wanted to touch on early rising because it is probably present in about 90% of the cases that I take on. And it's not the only challenge, but it's usually a part of what's going on. And it is because the early morning sleep is sort of tricky. So I'm going to get into that today. Of course, I'm going to get into a little kind of a checklist of things that you can investigate to see what could be causing the early rising for your child. Because it's not, it's not just a simple issue that you can say, oh, early rising. Okay. We need to do this. No, it could be one of a few different causes. And sometimes it's a combination of causes. So I'm going to get into that today. It's a tough problem because that early morning sleep is, is precious. I mean, I know for me, when I used to get up to go to work in the morning, like that, even the last 10 minutes before the alarm went off was really important. So I know how painful it can be to get up way before you want to get up. And then it's almost impossible to fall back to sleep at that time in the morning and for your child as well. So that's the first thing I wanted to explain is that part of the reason this is such an issue is because there's something called sleep pressure that affects this time of day. It affects you all day, but at this time of day in particular, because the sleep pressure is the lowest in the whole 24 hours between 3 to 5 a.m. Sleep pressure is your body's biological drive to sleep. So it's basically what builds and builds and builds all day until it's time for you to go to bed. And that's the drive that pushes you to go to sleep. So if you're a small child, you have sleep pressure that builds until it's nap time. For an older child or an adult, the sleep pressure builds consistently all day until it's your regular bedtime. Well, between 3 and 5 a.m., if you get awakened by anything, whether it's internal or external, it's going to be really tricky to fall back to sleep at that time in the morning. And I can say from my own experience, pulling out every little trick that I have to help myself with insomnia and going back to sleep, it probably works 50-50 at the time, at that time of the day. So that can really be the toughest day for everybody to fall back to sleep. And especially a little child who just has no tools to be able to help themselves go back to sleep. So that's why they're typically calling for you at that time in the morning, because they're just like, I'm awake, you know? So I want to just say before we get into what the causes could be and how to investigate this challenge, when you're correcting a challenge like this, and especially if it's been habitual for a long time, you know, weeks, months, expect things to take time to correct and expect there to be one step forward, one step back, one step forward, two steps back. Expect it to look like that. Sleep work is not very linear. It, the progression of it is as long as you're moving in the right direction with a little bit of regression, then you're then you're doing you're on the right track. You know, with clients, it can get very frustrating when things, you know, when I say, OK, we'll move the nap to this time and then hopefully that will fix this issue. But it takes sometimes between seven to 10 days to see anything change. And then 
three to four weeks if we're shifting your child's body clock, which is if you your child has an early waking issue as part of a sleep challenge, we're going to be wanting to shift their body clock so that they're not waking up at that time of day. The things that you can look into, we want to go back to the basics. First of all, we, we have to start with investigating the sleep environment. Is it dark enough at this time of the year when it's getting very light very early in the morning? If your child's room is not blacked out with curtains or blinds, that can be enough to wake them up, especially because they're in that lighter sleep in the morning. And if there's light, it's signaling their brain, whether their eyes are open or not, it's still signaling their brain that it's time to get up. So that's the number one question I ask parents is, is your child's room really as dark as you can get it? And sometimes that means using layers of things. Um, Sometimes it can mean using a blackout shade and blackout curtains on top. Sometimes there's like window clings that you can get. There's all kinds of different products that you can get to do blackout. And sometimes you do have to layer them because especially if your child is facing where the sun comes up in their room, it's going to be really bright in the morning. And you know, some of those summer mornings, it's like blinding light. Make sure you check that because that can definitely be a big factor. Noise. So morning noise, you know, your neighbor going out to walk the dog, the door slamming, garbage trucks, you getting up for work, you getting up to go to the bathroom. All of these things can be noisy enough to wake a child who's in light sleep at that time of day. So that's why I really recommend using white noise. And I recommend using it all consistently all day for naps and then all night, because if there's a change in the noise or in the tempo, for instance, if you left music on, that can be enough to wake a child. By using that consistent background noise, even in my room, I have an air purifier that's pretty loud and I actually needed to get a filter for it. So I left it off for a couple of days while I ordered a new filter. And it was so weird how quiet it was without that noise. And it really helped me sleep with, with the air filter, even though it's definitely not as loud as a white noise machine. So I recommend using that all the time. Making sure your child is not too hot or too cold. That's a big one because if your child is too cold and they wake up at that time of day, they're going to be uncomfortable and they're going to be up for the day. You know, definitely having airflow in your child's room, but if the windows are open in the morning, again, you're prone to noise and you're definitely prone to light. So that's going to be contributing to your child getting up early. Another thing that we want to talk about is sleep dispersal. So making sure your child is getting the correct amount of sleep for their age and for their own personal needs. So you can find a chart that tells you sleep needs by the month. And then I think after two years, they go by by the year. And then I'll kind of break it down. Now, again, these are general suggestions, so you don't need to follow it to the letter, but it gives you at least an idea of how much sleep your child should be getting during the day and the night. If you're exceeding the day sleep by a lot, or if your child's going to bed very early at night, they're only going to need so much sleep and then they're going to get up at an early hour. So if your child is three years old and still taking a two or three hour nap during the day, that's going to cut into their nighttime sleep. And the nighttime sleep, as, as important as daytime sleep is, it's more of a bridge to get your child to bedtime so they're not so overtired, particularly in the later years when your child is taking naps, age two, three, four, five. It's more of a resting period so that your child is not, so their body's not releasing those stress hormones. They're getting overtired. So the nap 
especially in the later years between two and five is not a priority. It is important to try to get your child rest. But what I mean by that is that if we have to limit the nap or wake your child up earlier from the nap, that's okay. It's better to have them get a quality night's sleep, to be tired enough to go to sleep at an appropriate time and to sleep till an appropriate time in the morning. So hopefully that makes sense to you because we we can only get so much sleep in a 24-hour period. So we have to make sure it's distributed correctly. And that's a real common uh, cause that I see for early rising. Either your child's going to bed too late and so they're overtired and then they're waking up because their body has these stress hormones in them, or your child is sleeping way too much and they just can't sleep anymore. So they're up for the day at four or five in the morning. A big part of this is usually parents first going in and wanting to soothe their child, and then it creates a habitual waking. And this is not in any way to criticize parents for soothing your child. I would never say that. What I mean is that because we have the power to soothe our child, we also have the power to help encourage them to stay in their beds in their rooms and to stay asleep at this time of day. And it's going to take some work. So what it's going to probably take is you going in their room. If they're crying out, if they're just playing in their crib, you can totally leave your child. It's better to not reinforce the waking with your presence if you can possibly help it. You know, as long as your child is happy, they're not distressed let them lay in their crib and play. And hopefully the hope is that eventually once they're past whatever, you know, maybe it's a developmental milestone and they're just really stimulated or they're just really excited to practice their crawling or they're pulling up, let them practice that. And then after the milestone has passed, hopefully they will just naturally go back to sleep at that time of day because it hasn't been reinforced. And as long as the environment is correct as long as they're not hungry at that time of day and you know this, then you can just let them be. Or if your child is distressed, then you can go in the room and soothe them and keep them in in the room. So you can go in there and lay down with them. You can go in there and just hold them and try to get them to sleep, but make sure it's in the dark so that you're not, you know, even a little bit of light at this time of day will reinforce that waking because it's such a strong signal to your brain to stop, stop producing the melatonin. That's what helps us relax and sleep. I know I sound like a broken record with the stress hormones and the melatonin, but I probably say it in every episode, but it is so important to understand how all that works biologically so that you understand that this is not a behavioral issue with your child. This is science and it's something we can absolutely help to encourage. So what is a reasonable wake-up time? Parents will often ask me, Technically, 6 a.m. is what I would consider a reasonable time. Now, if your child's getting up at 5.45 every day and you're doing the work, the environment is correct, you know they're not hungry, you've tried to help them stay asleep, well, 5.45 is probably going to be their waking time. You know, you could definitely leave your child in the room and see if they fall back to sleep, but some kids are just early risers. So again, I talked about the milestones If your child is having a sleep regression and you think it's due to a developmental milestone, I mentioned crawling, pulling up, things like that, it's usually tied in with some early waking just because children are more prone to stimulation at that time. They're more prone to wanting to play. They're also more prone to separation anxiety, which is the other side of that. So if your child is distraught at that time of the morning, you do want to go to them and see what they need because they might just need you. And as long as you're keeping them in the dark, you're not interacting with them and talking to them or singing to them. You're just going in there and quietly 
sitting with them or laying with them or standing and patting their back to help them go back to sleep. You're not creating a bad habit. What you're doing is is you're taking care of your child. So I don't want to ever discourage you from going to your child because they could be experiencing some separation anxiety and you don't want to deny them your presence when they need you because sometimes that might be all they need is just some reassurance. So if you can do it in the right environment and without interaction, you minimize the possibility of creating a habitual waking. Now, for some kids, it's going to be very strong association with you coming in there. Even if you're minimizing your what you're saying and what you're doing with them, you might have to break that gently eventually one day. But for now, your child needs you. And the most important thing is that you're there for your child. So a good thing to keep in mind is to treat this as a night waking. If it's before 5.30 a.m., try to resettle them in the dark in their own room Um, At least have them remain in the darkened room with or without you. So a common thing that happens is parents will bring a little one, four or five, six month old into bed with them at this time of the morning because they're still getting up for feeding at this time of the day and they want, they all want to go back to sleep. This is not wrong. A lot of clients will come to me and say, oh, we did something wrong. Like, you know, we created a bad habit. It's not wrong. You're doing what you need to do to cope at the time which is the best you can do. And it's something that you can definitely break. It's going to take a little work. Your baby's going to be frustrated because they'd rather be with you. But at some point, you'll see that bringing your child into your bed with you stops working. Now, this might be at seven or eight months old when your child gets more aware and stimulated. This might be at two or three years old. Whatever it is for your family, that's the time when you then want to start going back and soothing your child in their bedroom and starting from that point and expect some pushback, expect it to take some time because they're used to being in your bed. But if the purpose of them being in your bed with you was to sleep and no one's getting any more sleep, you know that it's not working anymore and you need to address that. That nap, that third nap, or even if it's just one nap for a child, that can be a problem for not only bedtime, but for early wakings. If it's too close to bedtime, there's not enough sleep pressure that's been created through the day. So if your child is waking up at, um, let's say you have a two-year-old, they're waking up at 4 p.m. and then you want them to go to sleep at 7.30 or 8 p.m. Well, three and a half, four hours of sleep pressure is not enough drive for a child to stay asleep throughout the night. So 10 to 12 hours sleep through the night, it's not going to happen with four hours of sleep pressure built up. So you need to make sure that you're giving your child an age appropriate amount of time between nap and bedtime to build enough sleep pressure to sleep through the night. So the nap can be problematic, particularly in older children. But if your child is taking that third nap still, you might want to look at limiting that, you know, a 20 to 30 minute Really, catnap is all they need to get to bedtime. It's just that third nap is really just a bridge to bedtime so that your child isn't getting too overtired. So hunger, that's a big contributor, the the feeding at this time of the morning. Because a lot of times it starts as you go in around 4.30 when your child wakes up, you give them a bottle or feed them, they go back to sleep. And at some point when they become more stimulated, more aware, they stop going back to sleep. So you want to look at, is that feeding necessary? Are they really hungry or are they used to you coming in the room? Now, it could be a combination of the two. If it's unnecessary or learned feeding, so if they're an older baby, they don't really need to eat at that time of day, like older than six months and getting 
enough nutrition during the day, you you can probably look at starting to step down that feeding in the morning. Sometimes babies under nine or 12 months may still need a night feed, but that typically will happen more in the middle of the night than in that early morning time. That early morning feeding really is for mostly for babies under six months. Now, you always want to check with your doctor to make sure before you drop a feed. I like to always tell parents because your child could have issues with feeding. Your child could be underweight. There's all kinds of things that could be going on if your child has reflux or if they're teething and they haven't eaten a lot the day before. You want to make sure you're giving them enough, of course. So that's why each individual case is different. I'm giving very general advice, but if you're if you have a healthy, developmentally healthy child who's gaining weight, who's getting enough nutrition during the day and they're, you know, 8, 9, 10 months old, you want to look at maybe stepping down that feeding. So what that would look like is giving them a little less every day. So if you're giving them a four ounce bottle at that time of day, give them a three ounce bottle and then a day or two later, give them a two ounce bottle. And, you know, it's just gently breaking that association. If you're nursing, you might want to time the nursing and see how long am I nursing my baby? Are they actually nursing for hunger or are they nursing for comfort? You can you can tell the difference between a baby who's really hungry and ravenous. And again, these might these needs may change. There may be a time when your child is teething. And for some children, teething can really disrupt eating. And so then your child will wake up at three, four in the morning and be starving. And that's, it's okay to go to them. If something is abnormal for your child and they're waking up at this time of morning, I don't want you to ignore your child and think, oh, I'm setting up a bad habit. When our child is waking, whether it's in the early morning or whether it's at night, we always want to see what is the need that my child needs met. Sometimes it's just your presence, like I said, but... Sometimes it is something like a, a diaper or, um, you know, they feel sick or they need to eat. So we always want to make sure we follow our instincts as parents. Your instincts are always going to be better than someone in a book or someone in a podcast telling you what to do. So I really encourage you to follow your instincts. If you feel like, you know what, this is kind of weird. I'm going to go to I'm going to go to her and check her out and see what's going on. Do it. You're not going to create a bad habit by checking on your child, you know, once in a while or even all the time. It's just meet the need and then try to encourage them to go back to sleep in the dark or at least stay in the dark so that that does not get reinforced. With older kids, you can try using an okay to wake clock that lights up. So there's lots of different ones. The grow clock, there's okay to wake owl, little hippo. I encourage you to look into them and see the ones that don't have lights that stay on all night because that can be disruptive to sleep, like a little light on a humidifier or a little light on a sound machine. You want to make sure you get some like electrical tape and cover that up because that can be enough to disturb sleep for a child who's very sensitive. I hope that you can see how this challenge can be a little trickier to solve than most because it does require some investigation and it can also be Quite a big combination of factors. Start with the environment and start with learning what your child's sleep needs are and how their naps should be distributed throughout the day. And pay attention also to wake windows, which is how long your child should be asleep between sleep periods. Those are the basic places that I would start off when you're investigating early waking for your child. And with some persistence, this is something definitely that can be solved. Almost every one of my clients that we've worked on different sleep challenges, eventually the child will start sleeping a little bit later in the morning again, but 
it does take time and it can be the last thing that gets solved. So if you're struggling with a child who is having bedtime issues and night waking issues and they're still waking up early in the morning, they probably need to get on a healthy age appropriate schedule first catch up on sleep, and then the early morning waking issue will be solved. So don't lose patience, be persistent, be consistent. That's the best piece of advice that I can give you is to be consistent with your responses and also discuss with your partner what their responses are so you guys can be on the same page because babies respond really well to consistency. Eventually they learn that this is just going to be the response I'm going to get. I'm going to get either parent who's going to come in the dark and they're going to try to get me to calmly go back to sleep. So consistency is the best thing you can use to solve a sleep challenge like this. All right, that's my show for this week. It's a little shorty, but it was packed with information. I hope that helps you begin to think about your child's early waking issue. If you have more questions, of course, you can always message me on Instagram or Facebook or send me an email at nestfamilysleep at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to talk to you. And you guys can always send me show requests. If you have something that you want to hear about, like last week I did a toddler sleep episode that was requested. I'd love to hear about what you guys want to know about because that's what I'm here for is to help you. I'm not here to just to listen to myself talk. (laughs) So if you have a minute, I would love it if you would go on iTunes and search The Little Sleep Show and rate and review my podcast. I would appreciate it so much. It just helps to nudge it up on the charts and for other people to get this information, get access to this information for other parents. I hope you all have a great rest of your week and rest of your day. Take care. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, follow us on Instagram and Facebook for tips on sleep and a whole lot more. See you next week.